1: All right, we're out there in the interwebs. How's everyone tonight?
0: Doing well, hanging in there.
1: Doing okay. well, Jay?
0: Yeah, I'm doing well. Got my gin and tonic, so I'm ready.
1: Uh, oh, yeah, Anna and I had that discussion tonight about gin and tonics. She did not want to use the Navy strength.
0: Why not? <laughs>
1: she wants to save that for the straight sipping.
0: Okay. that's I can understand that. It's not, not a bad logic.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ah, so welcome everybody tonight. Uh, as has been want the case over several times, we have Eric from Cowabunga with us tonight.
2: Yeah, it's fun to be here. Thanks for uh, making time and having me on. Got a few yeah, things we're to talk about. Wait a minute. Oh I yeah, all kinds there. of stuff
0: out Discount comics.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're having a crisis of identity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way to put it. So. I'll, I'll, I guess, I, you know what, I'll, I'll rip the Band-Aid. I'll give a little bit of inside info. So um, l- a little bit less than a year ago, we engaged with an organization to build out a brand new website for so, us, uh, DeepDiscountComics.com website, where we would do all of our mail order um, ordering and, and whatnot from. And we were chugging along really, really well trying to go live uh late last fall and um, just a few things came up where we had to you know rejigger some of the scope and make things kind of oh we didn't take that into account we should definitely add that in kind of stuff so um, got a little bit delayed and then uh, the firm that we engaged with um, they had one very senior level software engineer and he was just absolutely fantastic Um, however he was so fantastic that he got poached by another company (laughs) <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, the site didn't get finished, and we were hoping that he would, you know, find time on the side to help get it done um, while they the the firm was trying to hire in another um, resource that would have the same skill sets. And unfortunately, neither of those have happened. So we're kind of in a little bit of a hiatus, shall we say? It's it, it's painful. I'll be honest because uh, we we had a lot planned on getting the site live, um, so we're waiting to see what the result's gonna be. We've got some some options are out there, um, so we're waiting to hear back from the firm to see what they've come up with, and then we're gonna make a decision how we move forward. Um, if anyone out there knows October CMS and, and uh, PHP and all that kind of stuff and they want a side job, I guess uh, reach out to us, but um, yeah, we're just gonna kind of wait and see. Um, Part of the struggle with that has been, uh, as you guys have seen, we've launched uh, a couple of exclusive covers that have come out. We've announced, um, obviously, our Jenny Frizz and Shadow Man 1. Yes, very nice. Beautiful cover, um, And then our Jandurisma uh, Bounty Hunters Alpha, which is a Boba Fett cover that we released yesterday and has been pre-selling very, very well. Um, we decided this year that we wanted to get a little bit more into the exclusives, not... Um, not going crazy we're not doing um, you know massive print runs on everything that we do we've we've selected very specific books for very specific reasons um, we will be announcing in the next week and a half week week and a half um, Shadow man 2 which is also a Jenny Frison cover and um, those books we decided we needed to have a place to reach a wider audience so we've got them on a a quick site that I just stood up it's shopcowabunga.com it's not ideal but it it'll buy their books and uh, uh, pre-order them and and we can display them so we're working but um, yeah it's been interesting it's been really interesting trying to get all this done so
1: you can't just find somebody on fiverr to kind of finish it for you (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> um well if you guys know how complicated it can be just to order books from a customer perspective um i, I promise you the behind the scenes is about 50 times uh, more complicated it, it took it took probably i'm going to say about 16 hours worth of meetings um between myself the lead engineer and the lead designer um to talk through the entire ecosystem of, of the books and how we order them because we are such a weird unique industry where um all of our product essentially is, is pre-order mm-hmm. uh, with an FOC date, as opposed to things like the straight-up book market where you can pre-order it. But you know the, the likelihood that something uh, goes out of stock the day that it hits shelves is it, it barely ever happens, if at all. So the complexities of that, the complexities of how now we have two distributors, it's going to be three distributors, how we receive product in, and how there's you know normal cadences like our every week deliveries. Then you have kind of these random replenishment deliveries that come on Fridays um, that are damage replacements. They could be reorders. They could be whatever it is. Those come in off cycle. They don't get on an invoice like the other products do. They come kind of on the next invoice. So you're constantly like, I got product this week and I have to get it out, but. I won't know what I got, you know, in an invoice format until next week when the other stuff comes. So it's, there's a lot of complexities in, in getting it all done. Um, and it took about 16 hours to to work through it all, to show them how I manage everything. Um, but, yeah. So
1: it, I guess it's not a process you can draw on the back of a napkin.
2: need a really freaking big napkin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I, can, I guess you kind of alluded to it's going to get a little bit more complicated with the whole Marvel going the random house penguin
2: yeah. Penguin Random House. Um, it, it's I think the way that we had initially designed everything was that we kind of assumed that there would be additional distribution coming into to play, whether it was on the periodical side or things like um, we've been doing a significantly larger amount of action figure and statue sales. So we typically get NECA product through Diamond. But at this point, we're talking about may- maybe we just get a straight NECA account. So if we do that, we have to be able to account for their system. Obviously, we'd want to be able to pre-sell their- those products as well. So we designed it such that no matter where the distribution came from, we could bring it in. We just needed to make sure that as we transact data with the website, um, it's in a specific format that we can you know, input. So things like CSV files, which most of us are familiar with that deal with data or spreadsheets, you know, and it has to be a, a certain sequence Um so we we did design a lot of it to handle those things. The the bigger complexity with Penguin Random House is just going to be on all of the other mechanics that go into it, like getting data for pre-orders, getting just actually doing orders. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> discount tiers are changing, so it's going to be something. No, oh, it's almost like it's a full-time job. Almost. I should really kick one so I can focus on this one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the one thing I've noticed... So far about the announcement for Marvel going to pe- Penguin Random House, there doesn't seem to be as big a backlash as there was when DC left. But of course, they're also giving you more than three weeks notice, like unlike DC did.
2: Was yeah. it only three weeks um,
0: notice? Something like much, that. It was yeah. pretty close, yeah.
2: Hmm. Yep, and it was all reprint stuff, so I mean, it was kind—it of, wasn't like it was hitting fresh books, but it was—it was short to turn around. Um, so I think there's an equal amount of backlash um, for this adjustment, and the backlash is just very different. So uh, the first thing that everyone really got started to gripe about with uh, DC bringing on UCS and Lunar was not the fact that they were going to a different dis- distributor. It was the fact that they created two new distributors out of our direct competition.
1: Exactly. Um, that's what I was thinking.
2: That was the the biggest thing because that meant that, well, obviously, you know, DCBS and Midtown are going to bump themselves up in line if they need to get product refills. Right. Why wouldn't they? They can just move it from the left hand to the right hand and they've got what they need. Um, So that was the significant hurdle with the first one was they've now enabled our competitors to have yet another competitive advantage. Um, And then, of course, there was the fact that there was no established ordering mechanisms or websites for either of them. Um, the lunar site is still pretty janky. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not beautiful. It's not very performant. Um, it gets the job done. So hats off to that. But, um, so it was basically like we've created something out of nothing and we gave the benefit to your competitive competitors instead of, you know, going out to an established company. Um, the, the, the struggle with Marvel is going to be the flattening of discounts. And, right. um, uh, just put out a tilting at windmill, uh, tilting and windmills about the penguin random house shift and how everyone now is going to get a flat discount. That's equal and free shipping. Um, we actually prefer it the other way. We actually preferred our volume discount that we had and paying for shipping at diamond. Um, because uh, folks like, like Hibbs, um, you know, comics, was a Comics Experience in San Francisco? Um, his store is mostly meant to be a, a bookstore. Trades, hardcovers, uh, that's pretty much what he's modeled himself as. Now, with a superhero bend, of course. Um, but because of the fact that he's dealing... Predominantly in collected material he's had a penguin random house account for a very long time and he's worked on the bookseller account side not a direct market account side so all of that volume he's been getting in from PRH with free shipping and because of that his diamond numbers are low and because of that his shipping costs relative to his invoice totals are high um, so he, he said as, as high as 10 to 15% of his invoice total has been shipping well for us, we've never had a book distribution account. Uh, we've always gone through Diamond and obviously now Lunar. Um, but because of that, our orders are significantly high, especially for Marvel product. And as a byproduct of that, doing the math over the last year or so, our average shipping cost is 3%. So if I'm losing 6% of my discount and getting free shipping, I'm actually I'm, I'm losing 3% of my profit margin. Um, now, this is really going to hurt. Someone like DCBS where they're they're getting an even deeper discount than what I am and probably Midtown as well. So it's going to level the playing field for a lot of the big guys back down to the smaller ones. And the smaller people are going to be able to compete if they want to, if they choose to, or they're going to have a little bit more of a a meatier uh, profit margin. Because a lot of times, very, very small stores who are barely hitting their minimum diamond account balance, their discount could be as low as 35 percent. So they're getting an extra 15% margin. So it's, it's different, um, brings its own set of challenges, but the one thing that we are, I guess, reassured of is that even though Penguin Random House has never done comic book distribution before, they at least are a distributor of printed media. They've purchased a facility basically right next door to Diamond Comics. Um, they have ordering mechanisms in place. They've already got a you know, website and everything. All those things that Lunar and UCS didn't have and they've hired a lot of industry folks. Um, they took one of the vice presidents from Valiant. Uh, he's going to be one of the, the, the folks working at Penguin Random House. Um, Matthew Klein and they've gone around and they've scooped up some other industry folks as well who have good foresight into both the collected market as well as the, the single issue market, um, distribution struggles and all of that. So it's, it's a, another set of challenges, but I, th- I think it's, This one will be a little bit easier to absorb because we've already had to do it once.
1: Yeah. Isn't the terms different, too? Don't you get like net 30 or net 60 with uh, Penguin Random House that you didn't get with uh, Diamond?
2: (laughs) Uh, um, You could get terms with Diamond if you want. Oh, you could. Okay. Yeah. You had to have a certain credit history and apply for it. Um, So you could get terms with them. Uh, We we don't necessarily like that. Part of the reason is a lot of stores do that because they'll sell this week's comics to pay for two weeks ago. And for us, when the books arrive, we want, they're paid for up front. So our inventory is owned by us 100%. Um, yeah,
1: because I got to thinking that, about, like, if you, if you got net 30 or net 60, but then you've got returnable comics. Not then returnable. It makes you get a, then it, okay, so it's not returnable then.
2: No, so the way that they're setting this up is if you want to have a Penguin Random House distribution account through the bookseller side you get the lower discount but you get mm-hmm. returnability just like if you owned a you know a mystery novel store if you are on the direct market side and you are ordering periodicals or collected editions through the direct market side you get the higher 50 percent discount but no returnability that's interesting so that was one return- thing that we all kind of appreciated because there's an initial reaction of like, oh, shit, every bookstore is now going to have access to the product that we have. And, you know, for us, that's okay. But for one of our, our friendly stores, he's got seven bookstores around him. Mm. And he's like, well, if that's the case, if they have access to this stuff, you know, easily, as opposed to having to create a diamond account and go through that all those hoops, if they can just add stuff to their orders, that could really take a chunk out of me. So, So it'll be two different houses, basically.
0: But hasn't Penguin Random House already been doing distribution to, to bookstores like Barnes and Noble? Because I know they Barnes did and some.
2: Noble
0: carries a lot of yep. trade.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Penguin Random House they they are they are the um, I think sole collected edition distributor for the non-direct market <laughs> um, for DC. And huh. they also uh, they they yeah they they do distribute to Barnes and Noble, but again that's all returnable product. Um, which is handled differently both on the accounting side and on the, um, the product quality side. So, you know, Barnes and Noble, if uh, they get a case of hardcovers and they get dropped on the, the truck or something and they all have ding corners, they don't care. They just put them on the shelf. Um, unfortunately, being in a specialty store, the likelihood of me selling that is next to none because people come in and they want it, they want it like it's mint off the shelf. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of different, finicky things. Interesting.
1: Yeah, so I don't know. The biggest thing for me is, like, what's going to happen to Diamond now? Are they Are going to have to innovate, or are they just going to slowly wither on the vine?
2: <laughs> well, um, it's a, it's a hell of a question. Um, I think there's some industry speculation that if the Marvel move goes well, DC has an agreement in place already for Penguin Random House to be a preferred distributor if they, if they choose to. So um, they could move to Penguin Random House with DC product as well, shrink the discount margins to 50% there again, um, and then where does that leave Lunar and DCBS? All right, so that's a that's an interesting angle. Um, you also have the fact that Diamond has discount tiers that are set up based on total volumes invoiced. While you take mm-hmm. out the top 80% of the comic market, uh, people are going to have a, a lot of small stores especially are going to have a very hard time. Hitting those minimum order thresholds um, or even achieving the the discounts, the higher discounts, because they're just not going to be able to order as much product because it's not going to be there. So there's going to be a restructuring there. Um, obviously, Diamond is they, they did come out and say they were going to be a wholesaler of Marvel products. So if um, smaller stores wanted to or, or any store, they could keep um, ordering Marvel Comics through Diamond. Uh, we actually got a phone call from Diamond asking us if we were going to stay, and we were kind of like, yeah, no, uh, not going to happen. Um, they're like, yeah, we get it, the discount, you know, it's going to it's going to shift, and we can't give you what your straight discount is going to be because that's what we're going to get. So um, it's going to be interesting. when the If you guys remember back when COVID first started um, and Diamond shut down, and then it kind of resumed a little bit, and then Jeppy was on kind of his – roadshow of dan shaheen uh youtube uh, live discussions or whatever one of the things he talked about was expanding diamond into um back issues trying to be more of a back issue hub than uh, new issues so does this hasten that um and if so how does that affect places like mile high or my comic shop slash lone star um it's it's really, really interesting. I'm not going to lie. We're sitting on, the, I think, the next five years are going to be very telling in the comics industry. And we could see Diamond either cease to exist as it is, um, or it, they could emerge with some new business model that keeps them moving forward.
1: I don't know. I remember when it was Diamond and Capital. I still remember mm-hmm. that. So, you know, competition is, I don't know, I'm a big believer in competition. And I just remember just hearing a lot of time it's like, Well, here's all my returns from Diamond this week or, oh, that that book's not on the shelf because, you know, Diamond, you know, didn't package it right and and everything like that. So I guess. Yeah, I
2: I think all of us are in agreement with that. Competition is good. So why the hell do we have all these exclusive contracts? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: When Lunar is your exclusive distributor for DC Comics and, uh, you know, you make Penguin Random House your exclusive distributor for Marvel Comics. Well, there's no competition. The competition was to win the business. There's no competition to keep the business now. And that's Mm -hmm. what I want is give me competition to keep the business. Yep. I mean, I'm just afraid for the back half of the previews.
1: I mean, that's where all the interesting stuff is. And And we've seen a real
2: explosion of that lately too. A lot of, um, on my end, I've, I've been ordering more and more and more of the back half and, which is exciting. It's exciting for me to see, um, I don't know. I, I, and the, the other thing that's a trick is if you're going to a place like Penguin Random House, um, you know, they've kind of got that flat 50%. So a lot of those back half publishers, they're not at a 50% discount threshold. They're they're lower. Um, so if they were to try and go to Penguin Random House, how does that work? Um, I'm sure Penguin Random House would make some concessions to make it happen. But, um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting
1: or maybe it forces more, isn't there some like TKO and isn't Scout doing it now where you can just buy direct from them?
2: Yeah. Um, TKO only does direct store sales so um, or direct to customer. Um, so we have that. And then with Scout, there's actually three places you can order the books. You can get them through Diamond, you can get them through Lunar, and you can get them straight from the website. The retailers have a we have a certain, um, each of us get a different code that we have to put in to identify us as a retailer account when we check out. So, yep.
1: Yeah, Let's, but yeah. I guess I'm worried about the Fantagraphics, the. Um, mm-hmm. Who else, Jay? Well,
2: you well, got Fantagraphics, uh, you got folks like Vault. Um, yeah, you know, I really like Vault. Even, even Valiant, right? They're not a premier publisher. And they're. Their output, obviously, to slow due to COVID, um, you know, SourcePoint Press, AWA, uh, you know, all of those.
1: What about Image? How does Image fit in all this? I guess they're the, the odd odd personality.
2: <laughs> they're the big dogs as of October at uh, Diamond. Um, no, they've, they've pretty much come out and said, uh, at least, you know, everything we've heard thus far is that they're sticking with Diamond. They're aligned with Diamond. Um
1: Until McFarlane comes out with his own distribution company.
2: Right. Well, the only thing I would say is if if he wanted to do that, I'm pretty sure he would have done it by now. There's definitely a lot more money to be made in action figures than there is in periodical distribution. Uh, (laughs) The other big thing that's kind of the elephant in the room is that uh, there's been discussions that AT&T slash Warner Media is looking at selling off the DC comic print component, publishing component. Um, and one of the front runners that's been named uh, as an interested party is Steve Jeppy. So does Jeppy buy DC you know publication rights and then bring it back to Diamond for distribution. Again, these next 5 years are going to be very very crazy.
1: Man, so that is actually a serious serious rumor. I mean, I've heard that and I just kind of discounted that because you I mean that just sounds like it would just be such an undertaking because then you got to get artists, then you got to get writers and I mean does it does it well, stay part does it
2: start does it stay part of continuity or yeah. I'm hmm. I I would like to think that Steve is a big enough comic guy that he would want to he wouldn't want to like you know just change course and completely adjust. The other thing that he has going for him is he has how many years of industry contacts. He knows everyone who's been a publisher, uh, you know, the the like the Dan of the world, um you know, the Joe Quesadas, the David Gabriel's—he knows all of those people. So if it's a if it's a point of we need to hire somebody in to run this, he's got, you know, his black book should have everybody's phone number in it. I, I um, mean, I
1: actually wouldn't. I, I think it'd actually be kind of interesting because then you you might just do something that the big two have never been wanted wanted to do because it's always been, here's the character, but when you're done with it, he's, you got to put the sandbox just back the way it was yeah. or the toy box yeah. just the way, way it was. I mean, they could do something where they just like, okay. And and one of the reasons like I loved Valiant back in the, you know, especially the 90s is how they were, they were all interconnected. They were like on a t- linear timeline, you know. Characters got older. They got aged and everything like that. And so, I mean, that could be something they do to the DC and I think that'd actually be kind of nice as opposed to just keep trying everything, throw it against the wall, but then you keep coming back to the same stuff over and over and again.
2: Yeah, I think the struggle with companies like Marvel and DC is you have built a legacy based on certain characterizations. And what we've seen with both readership and um, overall pop culture acceptance is that by and large, people don't like significant change. Um, If Bruce Wayne is not Batman, that poses a significant problem. And so what, you know, anyone looking to undertake those things needs to do is needs to consider how do we establish new titles um, that allow us to break into new areas. Things like, you know, the Black Label books at DC or the Punisher Max run that Garth Ennis had over at Marvel where you went more adult and, you know, you could take him in different directions. Um, It's finding those ways of creating stories and universes. Um, You know, I don't think there's any reason why if someone said, Oh, here's the Bruce Wayne of 40 years in the future and just had an ongoing series while you had Bruce Wayne. Currently, I don't really see how, you know, if if it's executed well, it it wouldn't be a problem, but we've definitely seen that when you take Bruce Wayne out of Batman for a significant period of time. um, It's not good.
1: I don't know. When Dick Grayson was Batman, I think people kind of like that. He's done it twice back in prodigal. And then back when uh, the first part of Batman and Robin, I think Jay would be more of a. Should,
0: back he, in 2010, 2011,
1: yeah. So I mean, uh, even you know, right behind you there, your Nightwing the sign and everything. I mean, was well, there such a back? I mean, is it just a sign of the times because you know, you know, Robin uh, Dick Grayson graduate, you know, quit being Robin, and then mm-hmm. two issues later was Nightwing. Mm-hmm. Was that a big outrage? Now there's a big, you no, know, people didn't like Jason Todd. But then you got, um, uh, crap. Like Tim Drake, who's Tim the Robin Drake. I act? Yeah, who's the Robin I actually had, and who's kind of I, you know, I wish they do more with him and everything. But mm-hmm. I remember tonight, you know, it was like Tim Drake as Robin. You had a uh, Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy that Wally West is now going to be back to being the Flash and everything. So they've suc- I don't know. They've successfully, in the past inherited characters or is it just be or or you know passed it down or is it or is it you know the uh trinity the problem is the trinity can't change
2: correct correct Mm-hmm. that's really what it is it's the holy trinity at dc that um you know you talk about dick grayson and you talk about you know tim drake um who was still batman during the line share of all of that bruce wayne yeah. you know and that's kind of the the grounding point is that um The two have become so synonymous with one another that it's really hard to break them apart and um, you risk losing a lot of long-term readers the other thing that you risk losing is you risk losing all of that other um, connection so you've got the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy right which is heralded as at least you know for us uh, one of the greatest superhero trilogies that's been created I mean it's just it's phenomenal It, it, it is wonderful characterization of what Bruce is in those terrible and dark times. Um, But you start creating Batman as somebody else and you have a really significant challenge of getting people to come back and want to look at something because they've already put in their head, Oh, this is so-and-so to me. It's very, it's no different than Heath Ledger playing Joker. Um, You think about when that movie came out, uh, everybody was just like, this guy is clinically insane. Like he played this character so well. It's incredible. And you've had, obviously, Jared Leto has come back and, and play Joker. Um, but it just doesn't get that same response, because in most people's minds, it's still Heath Ledger. Or it's, you know, the animated Batman. Right. So you've, you've just got this. It's a mental block that's really hard. Um, you know, one of the few characters that we've seen successfully do that is Miles Morales as Spider-Man. But there's also been a very clear line of distinction, like Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Miles Morales is Spider-Man. We still have both going, right? Because Marvel will not give up the gravy train of Peter Parker. It's <laughs> It would be foolish.
0: Right. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, these companies, no matter who ends up licensing the characters, or you can't do significant changes. I mean, mm-hmm. look at the backlash that uh, Tom King got in his run. And it was largely because he was doing different things with Batman than had been done ever, you know, in 80-plus years. And so, you know, DC – I think that's why DC stopped his run 15 issues short of where he was planning on taking it. So, yeah, no matter – you can't mess with your pole characters. Well, well, or there's nobody is, about
2: to, go ahead. Go or has
1: nobody just figured out how to do it yet?
2: I think that's well, the bigger that's... thing, is that there's ways to do it. There has to be a way to do it. Um, but how did you guys each feel about the Tom King Batman run?
0: I liked it immensely.
2: Uh, I mean,
1: uh, I had quit reading Batman... <sighs> Oh, right before the valuable ones came out like 880 and 879 and <laughs> <in> those. <laughs> but I did go back. I did go back and start Batman up with Batman RIP or RIP.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, okay. and then with New 52, I picked it up until about issue 12 or 14. I got through the Court of Owls. And then
2: sounds like the court and the city of owls. The first two. Yeah,
1: court and city owls. And then something after that. And then I was kind of like, eh. And then I picked Batman up when uh, they restarted renumbering it with Rebirth and Tom King. Right. I think Mm -hmm. that was next. And I've kept it since. Okay. so I, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I think everybody has their own take about Batman. Yeah. Bruce Wayne, and however they take it. But, you know, part of that, I guess, is the comfort of, you know, when this writer's done, everything's going to go back into the toy box just the way it was, and it's, it's all going to go back to normal. See, that's the thing. That's what kind of gets me. It's like, let the let the writers tell their story, because in the end, they're not going to make anything a drastic change, except Alfred's dead. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: just a couple right? years later, Alfred, on that one. <laughs> yeah, Alfred's dead. I mean the poor guy lost and then it an kind of goes back a hand yeah so and I still expect somehow Alfred to come back within the next five years somehow
2: I don't it know seems how likely. whether it's as uh, in human form or in some sort of AI form it does seem likely
1: I mean once they brought back Bucky and they brought back um oh okay the only one they haven't brought back yet is Uncle Ben mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't think of anybody but it used to be Bucky and Uncle Ben, those are the two that never come back. Everybody else will die and come back. And then it's like, well, okay. Now we're just left with Uncle Ben. But I enjoyed it. Uh, I know people are complaining about emo Batman and <laughs> and and everything like that, but it's like I enjoyed that. I've en- I enjoyed uh Mr. Miracle. I kind of every every time I see Darkseid now, it's like Darkseid is I'm sorry, but I, I kind of like that. I've en- I'm enjoying Strange Adventures. Um, I can't think of, is there any other DC he's done? I didn't read the vision, but I hear good things about that.
2: That's, that's my favorite thing that he's written. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Maybe I'll
1: need to read the trade sometime.
2: (laughs) I have to be honest. Um, I, I really, really, really enjoyed the vision and did not really care for his Batman. Um, okay. And it wasn't because of what he tried to do with the character. It was because of how he tried to tell the story. Um, Pacing? He, uh, he tried to be Alan Moore. Uh, okay. You can actually go into Alan Moore's Swamp Thing and you can find identical page layouts, identical spots where the caption blocks are. Um, but it doesn't flow like Alan Moore. Um, it, it just isn't Alan Moore. No one will be Alan Moore, period. Um, so that was really hard for me because of how much I love Alan Moore's works, whether it's Swamp Thing, Watchmen, Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, doesn't matter. I love his work. And so when I was reading it, I was just like, uh, it's just, it doesn't work for me because I'm seeing what, what I should see, but it, it doesn't pace. And if you, uh, if you read Saga of the Swamp Thing, for those that have read it, um, and you didn't notice this, you go back and reread some of it you'll notice that through the the captions and the word balloons and things like that, if you read it, there's a pace in the cadence of the words. Um, and in fact, mm. through many of the issues, the cadence gets quicker because the words, everything kind of shortens down and it's like a heartbeat and it builds to whatever that wow factor is for that issue. Um, and that was what was a struggle for me is because I'm looking at this book that Tom King's writing and I'm seeing the layout, I'm seeing the pacing that's supposed to be there. And it just was like, it was like a person in a marching band who was off-step and tripping. It's just like, God damn it. It's like, why is this working? Um, so that was my struggle with it. Uh, but, it but it was because okay. he was trying to do something he, he, he isn't. Um, if he would have been Tom King on The Vision, just writing, I bet you I would have loved it because I loved The Vision.
1: Hmm. See, I haven't read Saga of the Swamp Thing so, or Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, so I guess I'm going to have to do that now, too. One of That's
2: my top three runs of all time.
1: How many issues is it? did he run it for?
2: Six trades.
1: Okay. I do have this first issue, though. I do have that slab somewhere. I got uh, Alan Moore's first Swamp Thing issue. You wouldn't I recommend think I got... reading that one.
2: Maybe <laughs> 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 may want to leave that one in the, in the CGC slab.
1: Okay. All right. So Okay. Well, yeah. at least... I mean, I've seen a lot of people try to copy the whole Watchmen thing with the mm-hmm. panel layout and everything like that before, but I didn't really... <sighs> You know, you know and this and that kind of touches on something. You know, people get that. And I'm sometimes I just wonder if if am I not a, a a lover of comics or do I just not know literature because for some reason stuff like that I don't pick up on. Like you were saying, it's like the cadence is a heartbeat and it gets quicker as it leads up to stuff. And I don't know, maybe that's cuz I'm a visual guy. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't pick up that or maybe or maybe I read in my head, I don't read out loud. Maybe that's it. But uh, I will state one of the most innovative things I can remember because it's visual was in uh, J. Michael Straczynski's uh, Rising Stars, where there was a mm-hmm. page, and they, they did, and he did the page such that you you almost had to hold it up to the light and how the the page on the other side shone through, sure. added to the art on that page, and it's you know visual stuff I get, but you know like like you're saying the, the cadence of the words and everything like that I. Sometimes that goes over my head, I guess.
2: It, it it's hit or miss. Like that's I I'm kind of equal parts, uh, of, of the story and the art. Um, so like the Grayson run, that um, Tim Seeley and Tom King kind of partner wrote the, those 45 issues or something like that. Um, the new 52 Grayson run. There's mm-hmm. some absolutely gorgeous art in there where you you see, Nightwing Dick Grayson, um, kind of like swooping down. And it's, it's an entire splash page, but it's him in all these different contorted positions. And there, there's motion lines that you could literally see exactly what the motion was that he was doing. And you could picture it as clear as day. Um, so I definitely key in on that stuff, too. I think it was just happenstance with Swamp Thing. I've read it so many times uh, because I love it so much um, that I've started. I, I didn't pick up on that heartbeat thing until probably the third or fourth time I read it. In fact, I was sitting in uh, LaGuardia reading it, and I went. I had that. Holy crap moment. And I actually picked up the phone and called James and I was like, you got your Swamp Thing trades? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, go to this issue in the third, second or third book, whatever it was, and just read the first four pages and tell me if you feel a heartbeat. <laughs> and He's like, you're crazy. And then he texted me like 20 minutes later, felt the heartbeat. <laughs> so it was just one of those <laughs> things I picked up on. I mean, I'm not looking for it. I guess it's the best way to put it.
1: Well, yeah, if you go looking for it, I don't think you're going to find it. It's All one right, of those. You're going to overanalyze
2: and you're just going to get pissed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you mentioned top three, then. So what's the other two in your top three?
2: Um, I would have to put uh, as my number one, "Why the Last Man." Uh, oh, I favorite.
1: love that series.
2: was my absolute favorites. Um, um, Swamp Thing I'm trying, trying to decide probably... if I if
1: I'm trying to decide if I like that being made into a TV show or not. If that will ruin it for me. Uh,
2: yeah, it, it could go either way, right? It could be really crappy '90s level production, or it could be. Really, really good. I mean, things like Umbrella Academy turned out, I think, far better than most people expected. Um, mm-hmm. Even the Swamp Thing TV show was tremendous. The few episodes they had, it was just the budget for it was insane. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think as far as the as far as the third run, I, I really have to go with kind of the whole Thanos um, Thanos Quest storyline when you have Surfer and Thanos, a lot of that great Ron Lim art. Um, I just love the all the different places that they go and all the different characters that come into it. Um, you know, going to death and uh, just the, the space stuff. I, I'm I'm a big Doctor Strange and Silver Surfer fan um, when it comes to Marvel, so I like all of that cosmic space stuff. Um, it just really drives with me. So those are. Was Starlin, my
1: Was Starlin writing that? Yep. Okay. So basically when from the the two issue Thanos quest and then how it then dove into the Silver Surfer third. Yep. But it's not foil.
2: No, this is. just. <laughs> bad. They didn't bother to foil or chromium cover the epics. Darn it. Uh,
1: so let's see. That is 80. OK, so the eight Swamp Thing 80s, Silver Surfer 90s. And then Why the Last Man 2000, the odds. It's
2: kind of, yeah, the late 2000s, I think, to maybe 2010 range.
1: Oh, I think you're going to find it was a little bit early, Or Was it? I want to yeah. think. Let me think, because um, I was reading 100 Bullets, and then I think Why the Last Man came out around, uh, I think was 2008. Actually, oh, was it?
0: Two- yeah. 2002 to 2008.
1: Oh, 2002, too. Okay, so still the aughts, the early aughts.
2: Yep, yep you're right. Yep, those uh, are my well, top three, but, you know, there's tons of other great stuff out there. Those are the ones, though, if I'm stranded on a desert island, that's what I'm taking. Just because I know I'll always be satisfied while reading.
1: <laughs> well, you know how it <laughs> ends.
2: I do, I do, which is satisfying in in some.
1: Oh, well, wait a second, though. You know, I, I, okay, since we're getting into that. So, um, how did you interpret how Why the Last Man Ends?
2: yeah um that last page or two (laughs) kind of him jumping out the window and um yeah it's a little weird like it could go one of two ways in my mind it could go the way of um they're off kind of you know repopulating the earth and doing doing their thing and it's just kind of life goes he ends up passing away and then you've got this other part where it's like there's there's a question of is that is that truly york um is that the original Mm -hmm. york is that York a clone like where's where's he going what's he doing you know like there's is there another story out there so it can go yeah. one of two ways like it's either boom done or we could get another 60 issues of chaos you know
1: yeah and i will say there was one character that well you know i don't think i really hated her but oh i was those last couple of issues with the the uh, israeli officer oh, hunting them officer yeah, the Mossad Officer. Oh.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You've read Why the Last Man, haven't you, uh, Jay? Yeah. Okay. So man, you know it's it's actually been a while since I've read that. Maybe I need to maybe it needs to be a reread.
2: It's one of those ones where I tend to reread it almost every year just because I enjoy it. Um, mm-hmm. it trumps a lot of new stuff that comes out. I'll go and read that. Uh, that and the other thing that I read every year at Christmas time is Grant Morrison's Clause. I read that. Oh, clause. That is good. Yeah. I, so. It's it's such a fun take on everything. And Graham Morrison doesn't go into, like, crazy, trippy Graham Morrison too much in it. So it's kind of – it's like – uh, It's like the well, two peyote know, scenes, and that's it.
1: Well, wait a second. Was it, wasn't the last one when – uh. They had this planet coming into the solar system and they had to grab so, some yeah. people from Mars and they had to grab some people from Venus.
2: I'm talking about the original like six issue or seven. Okay. Issues, whatever it was. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I really enjoyed the whole theory behind it where he had said, you know, this is a series that he wants to come back to, you know, maybe not every year, but frequently enough um, and tell another story because as he put it, you know, everyone views Santa very differently. And so, different situations you see Santa different. So obviously there was one, I think during world war two where you kind of see Santa is represented one way. The, the story that he started with was obviously much, mm-hmm. much uh, farther pat, back in time. Um, yeah. I just, I, I like the idea behind it. It was very, very clever.
1: And I like the wolves as opposed to the yes. reindeer.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. the um, little shamanistic side of things, more of the tribal, um, you know, the, the peyote scene where he goes and he makes all the toys and, the Krumpus knocked and, and I just, you know, I, there were some really touching things in it too. Like at the end when um, the woman that he's in love with is an old lady and he hasn't aged because he's this magical Santa being. Um, and she basically says, you have to go, you know, and he, you know, without saying so much basically says, you're, you're the only woman that I ever want to see or be with. I mean, it's very touching parts of it too, which is crazy. Mm-hmm.
1: No, it was very well written. and Oh, the art was just phenomenal, Dan, I thought. Yeah. Who did Maura. the art? Yep, yeah, Mora. Oh, I love Mora art.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm ashamed to say, as a Grant Morrison fan, I've never read Claws.
1: Oh, have you not read it? No, no. I'm sure there's a collected edition out there.
2: I'm sure there yeah. is. Hardcover, trade paperback, you name it. I have them all, actually,
1: right back there. <laughs> yeah, I think I got the floppies. I just had to dig them out of some of the boxes behind me. Yeah, those 2 they're I out there. <laughs> yeah, I gotta start Here's getting some more trades guys. and
2: such. What run of comics do you have the most different, co- you know, copies of floppies, hardcovers, trades? That's an easy one for me. All right.
0: Love, loving rockets.
2: I kind of had a hunch that's where that was gonna go.
0: I've got all the floppies, most of the trades, and uh. even some hardcovers.
2: What about some of the Terry Moore stuff?
0: I've got. I don't have a lot of floppies. I have all his okay. stuff is in either trades. I've got the omnibus for right. *Strangers in Paradise*. The omnibus for *Rachel Rising*. Uh, I've got all we tried to get that.
1: Stuff. We tried to get that all black Omni for *Rachel Rising*, but his website broke that day.
2: <laughs>
0: yes.
1: Oh, did you purchase I any of his that. art from his art sale this past weekend?
2: No,
0: I
1: didn't. Aww. I saw
2: it. I saw it kind of going on. I I i am not dipping my toes in. I don't want to get th- that that deep, but I definitely saw that art sale was going on.
0: He did 40 sketches and they were gone in like 20 minutes.
1: Yeah. It's like why even go to a con? Just do that.
2: I don't say. He's, he's got no reason <laughs> to the go man to of a the con. People. Yeah. He he likes people though. So, I mean, he like, does. He does.
1: Oh, what was it? Jay last C2E2? We were there, and some woman come up with a suitcase. <laughs> suitcase. And I he, remember the story. No,
0: two, more than one suitcase.
1: And he signed every book.
2: Jenny Frizzell does the, the exact entire, same
1: thing. She had the entire run
0: something. of floppies of uh, *Strangers in Paradise*, which is like runs to 120 issues, and she brought them all up there, and he signed every one of them
2: happily. Yeah. Yeah, and Jenny Frizzin does the same thing. She doesn't charge for signatures, and I've seen people bring up the entire run of Wonder Woman covers. I've seen the entire run of Revival. I've seen all of her Dynamite covers, and she just, is. if you put it on the table, she's signing it, and she's going to smile at you while she's signing it. She doesn't care.
1: So, That's good. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, yeah. What so about I you, guess,
1: guess, For me, I guess it would be two of them. So, uh, Fables... I love Fables. Oh. I I that's like one of the few... It and Preacher were the two series that I had that I just... When they ended, I was just like, what do I do now? <laughs> so, but I have many different versions of Fables. And then the one I have the most of is Kingdom Come.
2: Okay. So you have like a, the singles, the trade, the mm-hmm. hardcover... The is it the slipcase?
1: The slip the signed leather bound slipcase.
2: <laughs>
1: I yeah. love Kingdom Come. If if they made that into an accurate DC EU movie, oh, I think I could die a happy man.
2: I don't think they could. I don't think you don't,
1: they don't think could. they could you don't think you can make Kingdom Come into a movie? You They'd don't have think. to
2: change the story. Um a little bit. They first of all they have some issues with Shazam. Um, So they'd have to shift a couple things. Obviously, they had a Shazam movie, and then the other thing is there's a lot of religious based undertones in that book that they'd have to change, (laughs) and that would not fly in Warner Brothers or AT&T, which is a shame because if you just tell the story the way it is, I agree, damn good story, damn good story, and the art of course, Alex Ross, jeez. Oh,
1: and can you think of any other unappreciated artists? We keep, we, you know, I mean, not to not to discount everybody else, but, you know, we talk about Jenny Frizen, and mm-hmm. then you talk about Del Otto, and everybody's about uh, uh, and Art, Germ. Art Germ, and then who's for Josh doing Hill. all the dynamite? Pacilla? Oh, no. Perillo.
2: Perillo. Perillo. Perillo.
1: Yeah, but Ross has been doing this since, like, the early 90s, mm-hmm. and his stuff just still it, his Marvel stuff looks too bright and shiny to me for some reason. I don't know what it is.
2: Have you, I love his Iron Man covers that he's doing right now. His Immortal Hulk covers are really good too, but his Iron Man covers are just oh god, they're just gorgeous.
1: Well, I know I've been getting the I've been getting the Immortal Hulk, and it's just like I want the regular A cover. I want the yep. regular Alex Ross cover. I want that for the entire run. Yep. But ah oh, man, I just love Ross. I don't, for some yeah. reason though, no, I like his DC. I like it. No, yeah, yeah, he's made some great. No, oh, the one Iron Man I did get. I did get the. Didn't he do the Iron Man cover, where he's like in the bottle of or in the glass of scotch? Is that an Alex Ross? There's one where he's in. You know, the Iron Man. He's in. I think that is Alex Ross.
2: I did pick that one up just just cause of that. I think that, I can't think of it off the top of my head. The one that I think of is the Iron Man in a bottle, and that's definitely not, not an Alex Ross cover. Um, uh,
1: which but is- I don't, you know, I don't know though. I don't, I don't. Maybe I know his Spider Man is bright, but I know Spider Man's got bright mm-hmm. colors. Yeah. But it's it's just, and I do like. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I've seen. Wasn't he doing some? Um, there, there. He was doing covers where it was throwback. No, actually, didn't he do the um, the headshot? No, the not timeless, the headshot. Timeless. The timeless. Series. That's it. The timeless one. I did yeah, pick up several of that.
2: That's from a large. The mural. Culture. Yeah, the mural that he had done, and it's the headshots of him. Yeah. Yeah, that was gorgeous. Um, well, I I think what you just hit on though is commonly the stark difference between dc and marvel historically and it's not necessarily the case as much now with dc but for a long time dc was kind of more the the publisher of hope and optimism and and, you know the 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 spirit of superman right this the boy scout who can't do wrong and and wonder woman this this you know immortal woman basically who brings hope to to everyone Mm -hmm. um And whereas Marvel was kind of always meant to be street level and facing like, this is New York reality. New York is not always sunshine and rainbows, right? There's despair, there's danger, there's, you know, um, and just being street level grounded in a real world place allowed Marvel to take on some of those more real heart getting stories. Whereas with DC, you were in, you know, Keystone City, you were in the middle of Kansas in a made up, you know, metropolis, you're. Gotham, um, you know, places that that don't exist, quote unquote, in the real world. Yeah. And because of that, you can't ground really in anything and connect it to an individual. So it was much brighter and lighter and happier. There was obviously despair and troubles. You you, you know, you had speedy on drugs. You had, you know, um, kind of the space traveling heroes and that kind of era of things where we kind of went a little bit darker. And then you've got your Batman. That's not exactly bright and, and shiny uh, a lot of the time. Um, but that's where I see a big tonal difference historically. And now DC is pretty much all just very negative. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that one. Yeah, and,
1: it's Del, and it's a Dell Auto. It's not a Ross. Yeah. Well, and I think Jay and I were talking about that last time or something, because I remember when they had we had the J, JLA Avengers crossover in the nine early 90s. I remember that was the comment when the when the Justice League came over to the the Marvel universe. They were talking about how gritty it was and mm-hmm. nobody's got any hope and mm-hmm. and it was dark and everything. And I just found it ironic that the DC cinematic universe is considered dark and
2: it's so <laughs> depressing
1: and depressing. And the Marvel's all nice and bright and everything and all like
2: that. Ooh, well, you don't like the
1: you don't, like the you don't like the you don't like the uh the Zack Snyder DC universe.
2: No, I've not liked it. I I. Have only fallen asleep during two movies in my entire life, uh, Annie Hall and Batman v Superman. <laughs>
0: That's two very disparate movies, yeah. there. Yeah.
2: Yep. So, um, and I have one takeaway line from each movie. In Annie Hall, it was when they pull a car over to park, and they're about three feet off the curb, and Woody Allen goes, "Well, we can walk from here." Um and then the comment about your mother's name is Martha. And the fact that those are my only key <laughs> takeaways from the two movies points to significant issues with the films.
1: <laughs> well, I heard that the director's cut, is it a director's cut, Jay, that's better? The
2: which Snyder I have yet cut. to see
1: for, or no, the Snyder cut for Justice League, but for Batman versus Superman, oh, yeah. the director's cut, I they put some stuff in and stuff makes.
0: The director's cut's better than the theatrical release, yeah.
1: So, which I have yet, I have yet to see the director's cut of that. So, My wife actually You're, sat with me through just the Snyder Cut, and I threatened to take her through um, what, Man of Steel and then BVS, <laughs> Director's Cut. Questioning how much is you at, love your wife. Well, she was asking too many questions. I mean,
2: <laughs> I, just,
1: I mean, I enjoyed Man of Steel. I was actually really looking forward to that movie, and I really enjoyed it. Because, but at that time, I was also in that documentary film i love the jittery camera and the pans in and out yeah and and some of the visuals Mm.
2: and that style just doesn't always click for me um like the office i cannot watch the office i can't do all that like in-out camera stuff um when they redid the muppet (laughs) show um like i don't know what it was when piggy miss piggy had her um her nighttime show or her talk show, like, uh, it was filmed like the office. And I was like, okay, I love these characters. I cannot watch this. I'm getting sick. I it's not, <laughs> I don't like it.
1: Well, no, so. I'll agree. I, I, I'll agree. I do not like the, um, like the documentary, like the way they do modern family and all that. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking back to like how they did BSG. Cause I love to yeah. reimagine Battlestar Galactica. And yeah, that was it good. was only, and, and how, that was done documentary style, but you did—they didn't break the fourth wall, right? Right. And and it and I think BSG used it to call to highlight stuff or to call attention to details and things. I think that was intentional, and that's why I liked it in like you know Man of Steel because you know mm-hmm. he's flying off and you see him and you see him he's leaving the contrails and everything like like a like an aircraft would be, and then you would zoom in and stuff like that. That's right. the aspects I liked of it. Right. To kind of give it some of that real world physics.
0: Yeah, but that's a little bit different than just a. I call it the shaky camera aspect of like what they did with BSG. Like, you know, you, it's obviously somebody holding a camera on their shoulder, by right. Filming this, and um, although they got away from that a little bit later in BSG, they, it was really heavily used in the first season, but then they kind of kind of backed off from it.
1: Well, they started using it more, it was used in the, um, with the CGI and the, the scenes in outer space and such. Mm-hmm. Because you've got the vastness, and then you'd have to focus in on something. Right. And instead of doing cut shots, you know, you zoom in and out, I don't know, to kind of give you that sense of how everything is. Because, you know, you're yeah. do- well, you're in space and it's 3D, so you got to kind of see, okay, first guys got to see where all everything is, and then you zoom into the action, and you know why, things are coming in to wherever they're coming into. I don't know. Yep. But I will say that last the last season or two of uh, BSG did seem, some of it I couldn't follow. And I don't know if I agree with the whole final five thing, but anyway, I still enjoyed it.
2: <laughs> well, for me, the runs that I have the most different iterations of um, definitely why the last man, because I have mm-hmm. the singles, the original trades, the hardcovers, the omnibus, and now they've got the paperback I don't know what they're the complete editions or whatever. I don't have the big jumbo size one, but I have every other form factor and then the one that I also have all of the form factors that came of it um which doesn't amount to as much as why is JLA Avengers. I have the issues, the trade, the two the two hardcover slipcase um yeah.
1: Do you have the so DC, DCU logo ones? Variants. I do not. Ha! You call yourself a fan.
2: <laughs> but I have three sets. I have three sets of those four issues, um, but none of the DCU logo. Uh,
1: I think I only got the floppies of those. I remember that was a big deal back it, in the you, day. You,
2: the trade and the hardcovers um, are ridiculously hard to find, and they're relatively expensive um, because they'll never be reprinted. Marvel just won't reprint them. They won't allow it. So yeah, I don't, I don't if you guess see well. it, you know get it. I mean, that's my thing. Is if you see the hardcover for anything between probably two and three hundred bucks, jump on it. And that trade, if you see it under a hundred, jump on it. And that price could have gone up since you know I last looked at it six months ago. But
1: that was all. Yeah. Was it all? Was it? Was it all Perez art, or was it mm-hmm. just on the Marvel?
2: Kurt with Perez art. Oh
1: man, now I want to go back and reread it. <laughs> mm. so how do you like saga from uh bkv
2: um I, I enjoy it i enjoy it quite a bit i'm a little frustrated that the one-year hiatus is turning into three um yeah it has been i've always it. It. i i enjoy the um the, the 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 space opera you know kind of western feel is fun um, I like that it's written slightly more for adults but um, at the same time like if we have slightly 17 I mean yeah but if we have like 16 17 18 year old kids coming in um, that ask about it, I'm not ashamed or afraid to show them because I mean, they've seen the they've seen it and heard the language probably long before they turned 16 um whereas there's some things out there where it's like yeah, I'm not gonna to show faithless to anyone under <laughs> under 18. Um, by Azzarello. That's a a little stretch. Um, So, no, I enjoy it. Um, It's an easy seller because it is very, um, it's very new comic reader friendly in that there's no big back history that people have to be familiar with. And on top of it, it's written in a style that is very approachable and understandable for someone in their daily life. Um, You know, the struggles of the in-laws and kind of a little bit of that Romeo and Juliet, you know, Capulet Montague type thing. Um, and then the cute trick of it being from Hazel's point of view is, is just a, it, all of it bundled up makes it really fun. Um, I hired somebody in October to come and work on my team, um, my real job, and she never read comics. But she's like, send me something and let me read it. So I sent her the first issue, the $1, you know, image first of Saga. And she was like, I need more of this and I need it now. I love Alana. That, that she is my spirit animal. I need more of this now. So I sent her the big, you know, thick paperback compendium or whatever, um, and she's chewing through it. But yeah, so I, I do enjoy it, and it's a great, it's a great seller.
1: Yeah, if it would, yeah, if it would just pick back. I hadn't realized it was three. I was actually thinking about it the other day, thinking it was, it's, it's, it's been more half. than a year.
2: Yeah, oh yeah.
1: Yeah, it's been more than a year. Supposed to be a year hiatus, but I don't. Yeah. Is BKV writing anything else, and is Staples nope drawing anything else
2: it's just it's all the television production stuff for why well that,
1: that gets picked up then it gets dropped then it gets picked up then it gets dropped
2: well it was picked up and then it was shifted um it went from what uh, a fox series to a movie to an fx series and i think there's something else there's another film project that he's working on too i think um but yeah so, uh, he's playing in hollywood
1: I guess, I guess You need to get back to writing comics.
2: Right, Paper Girls was another good one. That was one that was really easy to, um, to hand off to, especially women. Uh, you know, the whole mm-hmm. idea of these, you know, girls. But it got a little trippy with the space stuff, and it was kind of like, are you up with that, some sci-fi? Because if you are, then you're gonna like it. If you're not, you well, it's got that. It's so. kind of got that Stranger Things
1: vibe. A little bit of Stranger first, Things. First thing, first season, first season. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What was the other? Uh,
0: I think I lasted three issues of Paper Girls. That's all. Really?
1: That's all? Yeah. one for me. And then, um, what was the one he did with Tony Harris? Um, uh, the New York Mayor, Mayor New York one. The ex, uh, ex ex machina. machina? Oh, as Machina? Ex Machina, yeah. Which is? <laughs> is it Machina or Machina? I always say Machina. I don't know why I say Machina, but it is Machina. <laughs>
2: It was it was confusing when that Ex Machina movie came out and was like, wait, that's not a that has nothing to do with BKV's story. Well, I, exactly? That, <laughs> like, exactly. How, how did they take that branding? You know, like oh well. Uh, yep, I have that one too.
1: I don't know. I'm just happy that JMS got his eyes fixed and he's writing comics again, which is doing yeah. everything for AWA.
2: That, that is a publisher that is, um, it came out of the gate swinging and they are not letting up. Uh, I've been really impressed with the, re- the reader retention on all of those titles. Um, you know, most titles we see that standard curve. The first issue's got the biggest, you know, bite where a lot of people will try it. The second issue, not as much. And then by the third issue, you've kind of leveled off about 50% or so of what your first issue was. And then you're just going to kind of see a slow decline after that. I would say with AWA, um, I've maybe got a 15% drop from issue one to the rest of the the run because they're, you know, four, five, six issue uh, stories and it's quality talent. It's not like it's, you know, uh, just random people you've never heard of before. So I've been really impressed with their output. I mean, is that
1: what they're doing right? They've got the (laughs) They got the they let the the creators or the artists come in and do what they want to do and just leave them alone. Yep. But isn't that what, yep. like aftershock and I mean, and Marvel guys yeah but isn't um, that what aftershock and vault and them do I mean
2: yes no um, so aftershock is more or less a media company and it's an IP farm so they're giving people a place to go and create things that they might want to try and turn into some sort of uh, media franchise right so that's really one of the biggest hooks with aftershock is that they're now they're co-owned or whatever with a uh, production company uh they've got i believe Donnie cates god country is a a film or something that they're going to be in charge of running so they're kind of set up to be more of that full-on media platform um awa i'm sure that factors into it but a lot of those awa people are kind of the joe quesada era marvel folks that are kind of like let's get the band back together again um You know, and start telling some of these other stories that we want to. Like I said, I'm sure there's a media pitch and IP farm kind of idea behind it as well. But um, tighter group of people that are connected together, whereas with Aftershock and Vault, it's kind of like you want to come bring a story, come and bring a story.
1: Okay, but has anything even gotten made into some other media from Aftershock yet?
2: Not yet, but I mean, how long has it taken for? you know, a lot of the properties that we're seeing now to get turned into something. So it's it's a it's a slow evolutionary process. Um, I think well usually from when the rights get sold, uh, it can take like five to seven years before you see something on the screen. Um, and well, I don't even how know how long's been, been around that long.
1: Let me see. So we got Umbrella Academy. I guess that has been a while. Jupiter's legacy is about to come out. Old Guard. That was a but, that was a cool that, that,
0: that was an image. Title. Well,
1: well yeah but it's like what's the turnaround from but i guess Millar's no, has his already has his deal in place so and he already writes his stuff for turning into either a movie or a series or something so
2: right
0: i heard that they've they're in the process of making tokyo ghost
1: now yeah mm-hmm. still not gonna look as good as that it's uh, been on
2: the Murphy table for quite a while.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. no, it's not gonna the Sean Murphy art. No, I mean that's top notch.
1: I'm trying to remember Tokyo. I, and I'll, actually, I think I'd rather have seen Chrononauts first than I would have Tokyo Ghost.
2: Mm. Uh, yeah, I was excited when they said they were gonna do that, and then I, I just never went anywhere.
1: Chrononauts would be awesome as a movie.
2: <laughs> yeah, a really good. I mean, I hate to say it, but it kind of had some similar vibes to the um, Big Hero Six. And for those that haven't read uh, Chrononauts, I don't want to give too much away. Have you guys seen Big Hero Six? No, no, I haven't seen that. Oh, uh, it's it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie that adults can enjoy as well. Obviously, I have a seven year old, oh, so we watch a lot of that. But.
1: Oh, is it a standard uh, Pixar where they put in the the jokes that the only adults will get?
2: Yeah, there's some of that, um, but it's it's from a Marvel Marvel story. Um, same characters, slightly different characterizations, but. It has some very similar bends um, to the Chrononauts thing, which the Big Hero Six is animated. Obviously, Chrononauts would probably be a live person-based uh, show, so it could really it, it could be cool.
1: Yeah. So, I'm trying to think, what? Uh, I guess nothing. I mean, you you always hear about like you know, it's like comics are the perfect thing to make into some other media because the storyboarding's already done. Correct. You know, but
2: and if only it's, people could start to learn that comics are great because the script is already written, too. We don't have exactly. a script in a lot of these. Like, just add to it if you need to, but don't change it. <laughs> well, did Watchmen really change a lot? Not too much. Uh, not too I much. I think just the... Was it the ending? We're, we're talking the original Watchmen. Not yeah, the yeah, yeah. Series. Yeah, yes.
1: yeah, okay. Yeah, the, the original. Yeah, you're right. It didn't... Well. Yeah, because in the in the series, they did talk about it was a, a squid as opposed to Dr. Manhattan.
2: Right. I, I did contest that some of the most faithful adaptations of things were some of those uh, Netflix Marvel series. I mean, there was some creative license taking, but the actual tones and a lot of the story beats were fairly accurate for especially Daredevil. Um, I, I really I liked a lot of those. I was sad to see them. And...
1: Yeah, I still I still have a few I still have the la- third season of The Daredevil and the second season of The Punisher to watch. I'm assuming they're still on Netflix. I know the rights have gone yeah. been released, but I I'm assuming Netflix can still show those.
2: I think yeah, I think they retained perpetual rights to show them because it was their studios. So, that's
1: one of them is going to be my uh, plane trip down to uh, Costa Rica next week, and the yeah, other one's going to be my plane trip back. That's where I catch up on a lot of the series I've missed.
2: <laughs> I will say the series, I, w-
1: I, w- I was kind of mostly, I was kind of disappointed. I enjoyed it, but I was disappointed it didn't follow the books was Preacher.
2: Mm-hmm. It started off so promising. And then I think it was the third episode was kind of like, oh. <laughs> Damn. I
1: will say, I think Preacher has been was my favorite series of all time. God, I love that.
2: I do appreciate it the that they it. left space in and they actually got his face to look pretty close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and, I, did, and I didn't and I didn't
1: mind the casting and everything like that. It just uh, maybe it was just the re, the the order of the way things changed. Mm-hmm. And then he had to throw in Hitler mm-hmm. and all yeah.
2: Yep. So again, the story was written. It was just right. Why did you have to change
1: it? I don't know, because these executives know better. Sure. I mean, is there there a movie or a series that's been almost panel for panel or word for word for the the source material?
0: Killing joke. With the exception of the stuff they had.
2: About Batgirl. Yeah, the (laughs) rooftop scene. What the hell? Yeah, you take the rooftop scene out. I think that one was pretty darn close. Um, it, you know, it's a lot of those Batman animated ones that I'm thinking of, like Batman Red, Red Sun. Red Sun. Um, uh, yeah, Red Sun, right? With Damien and Talia and Rachel Gould and stuff. That was a pretty, pretty close adaptation. A lot of those animated ones are fairly close.
1: Yeah, it's like, that's the thing. DC can do the animated. Awesome. Yeah. Why yeah. can't they translate that into the into the uh, live action.
2: Just let Chris Nolan do it. He seemed to do just fine with this Dark Knight trilogy.
1: I guess, but, but I don't know. Well, I think that's what shot them was they gave that
2: big film deal to Zack Snyder after 300. And it was an X amount of films. And so they kind of had to let that run its course, I think, because financially it would have been a bigger dog to kill the contract and pay him out than it would have been to see the films through. So, I mean, you look at his a lot of his films, they all kind of have that same tone. They tend to be slow moving, um, very dramatic. Very, there's a lot of slow mo sections in it where you're just like, okay, <laughs> 45 seconds of watching someone float. Can we just move on with it, please? You know. Um, now I did
1: enjoy wait. 300. I guess,
2: it but but that style of directing, what exactly? It worked for that story. Story. The thing with superheroes is, uh, you know, as much as we think that superheroes are so fast at slow motion, they're fast, faster than a speeding bullet. Um, so why are you slowing it down? Like, let the motion happen, so I get the feeling, you know, and you mm. kind of get taken out of it. That's my opinion. I'm, but I'm okay. me and myself. See, I'm
0: going to be curious to look because they're gonna, they're doing the long Halloween now.
2: Mm-hmm. Making have the you anime. seen that?
1: Have you seen the promo for it yet? Yeah, I have. It's like I'm saying, it's like DC could do the animated.
0: i got a I couple did. questions about it, though. Number one, they're doing it in two parts, so that's always kind of dicey.
1: Well, isn't that how they did the Dark Knight Returns animated? I think they did a part yeah. one and part two for that.
0: I think so, yeah.
1: For
2: the two parts, though, in on this one, are, they, are the two parts going to contain the three stories? Because you had the Long Halloween, the Dark Victory, and... Shoot. What's the other one? There's the Tim Tim Sale Jeff Lope, yeah. They did the three. You're right. You know, stories. <sighs> and go oh, all all together.
1: You're right. What was that third one?
2: Haunted night. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Haunted night. You're right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, but I'm curious because the long Halloween, arguably best Batman story
1: ever. Yeah. Definitely but one of my you didn't, but you didn't even have the, the floppies until a no, few, I like a year or two ago. So how do you, you know, it was the it's greatest cause one. I never
0: I never found them for a price that I was willing to pay for. That's why.
2: You didn't get them when they first they are came out? They're
0: not cheap. No, I didn't get them when they first came out.
2: It, I, but I'll agree with you, Jay. That is one of my favorite Batman stories. I love the Calendar Man. Um, I, I love it. I love that story. I've read that one on an airplane many a time.
0: But it's not a high action story. So that's going to be what's curious because there's – that can be kind of slow moving at at times, but it's it probably shows Batman best as a detective as if anything's mm-hmm. ever been written about him. Well, you see, that's what I you know yeah. what
1: I bet it wouldn't sell in you know the in Warner Brothers or AT and T's the, in the pitch, but I'd almost love to see like a Batman movie where it's no action and it's all detective.
2: Yeah. I, I you know, you're not the only one. There's a lot of people that want to kind of I hate to say get back to the roots, but kind of get get back to that persona of the world's greatest detective. Um, and it doesn't mean you, you don't have any action because I mean, think of the Batman animated TV series. He was a detective in that and he still had action where he had to you know, catch the criminals and wrap them up and chase the Joker but he was actively detecting things. And I've I've always had this thought in my mind of I'm a GIS uh, major by trade. So maps are kind of a huge thing for me, but I always thought how cool would it be to have kind of a a run of Batman as a detective that focuses on Gotham and and you've got the map of Gotham and each issue kind of, they're all one or two issue stories. So if you're a new reader, you're not lost, Uh, but they all take place based on this map and you're piecing together this whole mystery And as you fill in the gaps, you're starting to find all the pieces that then culminate into one big thing. But you do it all from this this map so that it can help orient readers to Gotham and understand where Crime Alley is in relation to Wayne Manor, in relation to Arkham Asylum, in relation to, you know, the bridge to Bloodhaven and stuff like that. Just kind of like build that as the framework and then have it be detective work. Somebody wants to write that. Feel free to take my idea because I'll buy it. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no i i agree with you jay the the detective aspect um the the tone of it is it is darker in tone um but i think to the points that we've made because there's not as much action in it it can lend itself to more of that street procedural style where you're following someone you're you know you're knocking on doors and you're finding information as opposed to all of a sudden, this fantastical superhero thing happens, and now all of a sudden we've got sparks flying everywhere, and people are in slow mo, and bullets are whizzing past you like you're in the Matrix. You know, we, we we can focus more on that detective work, which would be phenomenal. You
1: know, you'd almost want the 1940s Batman for that, and just do a let's a crime noir.
2: I do enjoy my Batman Golden Age omnibus collection that I have. I like a lot of those older... Oh, Disney
1: don't pictures, even get but. me started because that, that just reminds me of that cancelled hardcover collection for the pre 27 Detective that DC oh, was yeah. going to put
2: out. Oh yeah, and don't forget about the other one. <laughs> Monster Society of Evil. Yeah. As soon as they cancelled the Monster Society of Evil, I just put down the money and, and bought one of the originals. So... I was like, this is never I coming back. about
0: that. About that Detect pre-27 collection. You didn't like that they mentioned Batman on the slipcover. Oh, before Batman.
1: Yeah, because they – It's like, yeah, it's before Martin Batman, TV. so you don't have to throw Batman <laughs> on it, even though it, – because it's before Batman. It's Detective Comics. <laughs> yes, it's Detective. Or but, or Or Tech, as we –
2: we like to refer those to in the industry, <laughs> so,
1: and some people hate that, and some people love it when we refer to it that way. It's all good. Uh, yeah.
0: I'm getting honest. back, go ahead. Kind of swinging back to the exclusive covers. Sure. You're getting mm-hmm. two of them now. And mm-hmm. What is the process? Because I'm always wondering, what's the process for a store getting an exclusive cover? Sure.
2: So it's a little different with different publishers and the smaller the publisher, the, I don't want to say the easier, um, the smaller the publisher, oftentimes the more simple the steps. So with a publisher like Marvel, um, it is, it can be frustrating. Um, if you are not a (laughs) store that has like, if you like Clayton crane, I think it was Scorpion comics. He was like, okay, he's our exclusive cover artist for a year or whatever it was. Um, you, you tell Marvel, I'm interested in doing an exclusive cover for this book. And if it's not a number one or an issue where they're up to doing an exclusive, they'll just say, no, we're not doing exclusives. But then if it is, they'll send you a list of house artists that they have and say, here's a list of artists that you can pick from. You can promote one if you want, but don't expect to get it. We'll, we'll verify. It. So, um, and, great case of this is we wanted to do a store exclusive for alien for the the number one issue but we wanted to do the original movie sell sheet we thought how freaking cool would that be to have that original movie poster as the the cover to the first issue of alien and we promoted that idea to them and they're like we'll have to talk to licensing and it came back nope can't use that it's a different licensing group so we can't use the poster all right so we let that one pass Then um, it came up with the the Batman Bounty Hunters um, Alpha that we have an exclusive with. And they sent us the list and we were looking through. We're like, we don't know any of these people. And we're looking up their art and it's like, yeah, it's not art we can sell to our customers. Um, I'm sure that somebody has a market for it, not us. Um, And so we were like, well, what about Dave Dorman? He did a ton of amazing star wars art he is a lucasfilm artist he does you know their posters for star wars celebration and stuff so we reached out to marvel and i I think this is the quickest they've ever responded to an email and it was two letters no no um because if you think about it Dorman hasn't done any star wars work since marvel got the license so i don't know what there is there but clearly there's something so that was out um and so then we ended up finding um you know, thinking about, okay, who are other people that have done great Star Wars covers? And we, you know, promoted John Durisma and said, Jan Durisma and said, hey, can we use Jan? And um, they came back and said, sure. So that was how we did Marvel. And then what they do is they will do a number of different things, like um, you have to pay the artist. <laughs> so you have to work with the artist on the art fee. And then Marvel sets a print run minimum um, of 3,000 copies for your first cover. You can do smaller print runs for subsequent covers, but you pay a plate fee for each cover you do. So usually about 500 bucks for a plate fee. Um, and then, yeah, you, you get the, a sketch of the art, send it to Marvel. They approve it. You do the full artwork, send it to them. They either correct, like, point out things, say, like, you can't show that in the background, you can't do that, and then kick it back, and then you send the final artwork again, and then they give it a thumbs up. Then they apply the trade dress and they give you the final image stuff. And then they literally just sit there. And we were like, you know, this book is coming out in less than a month. We'd really like to be able to pre-sell. And they're like, nope, can't share any of the art yet. Like, It's on FOC now. We'd like to be able to pre-sell this book. And they're like, can't share the art yet. So I, on the FOC, I put it on there, but I didn't have any art. And I had a couple of people who were like, you know, it'd be really great to see the cover. And my response to each of them was like, I really wish I could show you the cover. <laughs> Unfortunately, Marvel has it embargoed for now. Um And so then they finally gave us the green light yesterday to share the art. So we did. Um, so that's the Marvel process, bigger print run, um, just a ton of corporate overhead that you have to go through. And they are very slow to respond to emails. Like we're not talking hours. We're talking days, sometimes a week or more to respond to an email. And you're just like, did you forget about us? Are we lost? Um, with Valiant way different. Um, for us, we've we've had for a number of years now an incredible relationship with Valiant. Um, started with Matthew Klein, who I said had left and is now at Penguin Random House and continues with all of the staff at Valiant. They, they are hands down the number one publisher for us to see us succeed and to work with us. Um, and the process that they have is uh, you reach out about wanting an exclusive cover and they'll say, okay, what artist would you like? and you give them a list of one, two, or three names, and then they go out and they contact those artists and see if they're available. And then the way that Valiant does it is you don't pay for the original art. It's baked into how many copies are required to buy of the book. So, um, you know, some artists work much more or cost much more. Alex Ross, I think if you want him to do a cover, it's, you know, five to $20,000 depending on what he's doing. Whereas some of your smaller artists, lesser knowns, are going to be like, 350 to 500 um it just depends on who they are and how busy they are so we said you know we want jenny for shadow man that's our number one and they came back and they said she's up for it do you want to do one issue or do you want to do all four and we said is she up for doing all four and they said yes and so we gave the thumbs up so we're doing all four with jenny so you're doing you're gonna have you're
1: gonna have exclusives for the first four shadow man yep the first arc
2: Nice. and tell you what how can i do this i don't have the whole sharing thing down well so dennis here's what i'm going to do we uh, have the we have the the go ahead that we can share the art we haven't listed these live yet on the exclusive website we will this coming week but just because we're here and i'm feeling like it I'm going to. Can you do it down at the bottom where it says share? I was actually just going to email it to you. Okay, that's fine. Figure. You want to share? Oh, I, just
1: some, I, want to. I just got some emails. And I got some NFTs dropping tomorrow.
2: Ooh. Um, so we've got another artist doing a couple of exclusives coming up later in the summer for us i um, not going to disclose that person's name yet, um, but it'll be exciting. And that's how Valiant works. We did an exclusive with Aftershock, and theirs was kind of a hybrid between the Marvel and the uh, Valiant approach, where we had to pay Phil Hester for the cover, and then there was a minimum print run. Obviously, a plate fee aff- applies with all these, and it's pretty standard $500 plate fee for every, every publisher. Um, but we, uh, I can't remember what a print run was for Jimmy's Bastards that we did that, uh, Phil did for us, but, um, it was, it was kind of the hybrid. So we paid Phil for the art and then we paid for the print run of the books. Um, we've got a couple of exclusives that we're going in on a few, uh, on other individuals on that will be releasing the same day as Shadow Man 1. We're just waiting for, um, all of us. Yep. That's our Shadow Man 2 cover. And that is, I the
1: can't character? think of the character. Yeah, I can't think of the character's name. Uh, it's um, let's see if you can get uh, it. It's one of the pantheon of the Loas. Um, crap. Now, <laughs> uh, I'm losing my valiant card. Ah, uh, it's the he's the Loa of death. Crap. All right. I'm not gonna, come on, Jay. Come on, help me with here.
0: Um, you got
1: me. Baron Samadhi. There you go. That's it. Baron Samadhi. I knew I'd get it eventually. That is <laughs> nice. I just love Jenny's work. God. I just love And if you ever you know. buy her
2: and if you buy your art, you get two pieces, right? Most of the time. I have one that's a single piece because she did it for an art show, an art gallery showing. James bought a Wonder Woman cover and I bought a Wonder Woman cover. He's got the two and they're small, like, you know, 8 by 10 for one. And then I think the other's 10 by 12. Whereas I have, it's tucked up there. I have a large um, single that has both the line work and the shading on it. So, but yes, usually you get two. So, and she sells her art through, through um, Cadence comic Mm -hmm. art. So if anyone's interested, feel free to go and check it out. But,
1: uh... Oh, I go through and I I see the... Some of the Wonder Woman covers still on there that are nice.
2: Yep. Yep. So the first issue, Shadow Man. The second issue, Semity. Um, the third issue and the fourth issue, I cannot tell you who they are yet, but... they are going to be even better. Like, below your mind better. So... So we're really excited about it um, with the, like I said, with the aftershock, you pay the art, you pay for the print run, and then you've got it um, with image. It's very similar to that as well. You work with the artists offline, um, but before you can engage them to start doing the art, you have to get approval from image, um, which essentially is approval from the creators of the title that you want to do the exclusive for to not only do an exclusive, but also to approve the, um, the artwork for it. So, Great case in point. One of the books that we're partnering on an exclusive cover with that's coming out uh, later this month is actually uh, the initial sketch had uh, a character that looked somewhat like spawn in the background and they flagged that (laughs) and they said too close to spawn. Yes, it's all under the image umbrella, but video different everything. And unless you want to go through and get an approval from Todd, which I will tell you can be very difficult. You may just want to, change that design a little bit and so we uh, yeah let's just change that <laughs> no need to cause more trouble um so with image then it's a minimum 500 print run for whatever uh, book you want if you want um you know six different variations of the cover it's a minimum 500 for each and 500 plate fee uh well, Studios, you only have to get
1: 500 for image
2: right right
1: mike myers then, could get his own savage dragon cover
2: he could um, he could, depending on who he wants to commission to do the art. And then uh, you figure probably about a little over a thousand bucks by the time you get done printing. I oh, know. Yeah. You're a thousand bucks for the books and shipping, another 500 for the plate fee, put the art on top of that. So you hmm. probably two to 2,500.
1: Yeah. But you keep, but do you get the, and I guess do you get to do do get, get the original art? art.
2: No. Oh, so that's extra. So you,
1: you figure after all that, you might just eh, get a discount on the original art.
2: We we are talking with Jenny and her art dealer to see if we can secure the Shadow Man covers for the store. So we shall see. But with her, um, you know, she's she's an artist and she loves horror. And mm-hmm. when she heard doing Shadow Man, she jumped on it. And we were told this is art that she may not want to give up. She may just want to keep it. Okay. So, which is fine. That's That's obviously her choice. Yeah, um, and that
1: just means she's putting that much more effort and thought into it. Yeah, yeah.
2: And then Boom is it's pretty not much... Not that
1: she doesn't do anything else. Yeah. <laughs> but, some, right. but sometimes if you got your passion and all that, you just you know, yeah. it just shows.
2: Right, right. Um, you know, all of her Wonder Woman covers are, are gorgeous, but, you know, if she has a passion for horror, she's probably going to focus on smaller, fine details of something that maybe she, she wouldn't um, focus so much on with other covers, but... Like you said, all of her work is top notch. She doesn't phone anything in. Um, so, and then Boom is similar to, very similar to Image. You know, you're paying the artist, you're paying a plate fee, you've got a minimum print run that they set. Um, I cannot remember what the minimum print run for Boom is. I want to say it's a thousand for the first, and then maybe three or five hundred for any subsequent cover printing that you want to do. So, um, that one just kind of. Kind of depends on, on how you want to do it. So, and then the the price for the issues is at your current standard discount through mm. through Diamond because all of these will get printed, sent to Diamond, and then shipped to you. Generally, um, Aftershock shipped from the printer to us, um, but typically our Valiant stuff goes through Diamond. Our Marvel stuff is supposed to go through Diamond. So.
0: so it's always. A flat rate that you pay the artist, they don't get a percentage of sales for any of the exclusive covers?
1: Oh, I think he froze up a bit. He did freeze up a bit. Man. We were going so well. I guess it's that Wisconsin internet. I don't know, how do we There's,
0: There's not much we can do that I know? I don't know, how do
1: we reset this? Okay. Now we're getting technical difficulties. Well I don't guess it's technical too much. Um So I don't know, I guess that might be uh well, we'll that, miss- he's completely yeah, he's completely dropped off, so I guess we'll just uh chat among ourselves here and keep ourselves entertained here for a little bit. So I don't know, I mean I guess, I mean, if you were an artist, Jay, would you just want to, you know, if you don't know how the comic's going to sell or anything, would you want a percentage of the comics? Or would you just want to get your rate that you know you're going to get paid? I guess. Uh,
0: I don't know. Some artists, if they're selfish, might ask for both. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Probably I would just do flat rate because that's guaranteed money, whereas. Like I say, you don't know. I can't imagine them not selling all three thousand copies of Ah, he's about? back.
2: Sorry. <laughs> not sure what happened.
0: So did you hear my question?
2: I did not. I'm sorry. Okay. Can you repeat it?
0: Yeah, I was like so is it always just a flat artist fee you pay the artist? They don't get a percentage of sales on the
2: Correct. Correct. You, you predetermine the art fee with the artist. Um, and that's the set fee. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's just a process I'd never known anything about as far as store exclusives. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, you know the other struggle, and you said, you know, oh, Mike Myers get his own Savage Dragon cover. The only problem is Mike would have to make sure that he has someone with a Diamond account because they do require you to have a Diamond account to do that. <laughs> so. Oh, really? Yeah, because again, everything pretty much flows through Diamond because mm. they are the exclusive distributor, or at least were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming your DC <laughs> stuff would go through Lunar now, but I don't know. Yeah, I know. I think
1: didn't Jay didn't uh. Justin and Dewan and them do a um a an exclusive cover for EXO Manowar for Martin's um Valiant Database. It was a Valiant Database variant that they made.
0: I don't remember that. Oh, you don't remember that? No, I don't. Ah.
1: Yeah, and um, I think Justin or somebody did have a uh. uh oh yeah, I, mean, I remember
0: now. I've got it. I actually got the thing.
1: Yeah, what do you? I'm about to say.
0: Sorry, just took me a minute. That's been. <laughs> what? Are you, I'm an old man. That's been three years ago. I don't, you know.
2: You're not an old man yet.
1: <laughs> but yeah, you I remember close, that. You get closer every day.
0: But <laughs> well, I, I don't know the specifics of how they did that. I know Justin was behind it.
1: No, you know. Yeah, chances Justin's are. Justin's
2: man chances are too it depends who was in charge at the time um you know if certain individuals were running things dinesh adam um, you might have been able to to do stuff but right now um the the process is we just have to go through diamond requires a diamond account marvel's the same image is the same boom is the same um so and and, which whatever
0: it was back during the dinesh era so i think they yeah and see after um Valiant used the old Valiant database that Martin did, because they didn't have anything like that in house, and so Mar- and Martin had had right. all the all the covers from both VEI and
1: Vh1. Well, and acclaim.
0: And acclaim. Yep. And I
1: don't, It was
0: basically don't know a Valiant
2: comic book DB.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly, and they used it.
1: In...
2: Yep, I I think they still do. They still lean on it at times, or or some um, archived version therein.
1: Man, I the reason I say
2: that is because we may or may not be having a very exciting valiant thing coming up in August.
1: Okay. We cowabunga we or comic industry we. We cowabunga we. Ooh, okay.
0: nice.
2: Yep. So in August? They, in August. I mean we'll have Jenny covers coming out, you know, for four months, and then we've got two other covers that are coming out, one's in July and one's in September. And then our plan is to land something in August too.
1: Oh uh, man, you can't coordinate it with C two E two in December.
2: <laughs> you know, we're we're trying to make it easy for everyone and we're saying every first Saturday, May through August, we're doing a swap meet at the shop, which is Anyone who wants to come and set up and sell stuff is allowed to. Um, if you need a table, it's 10 bucks a table. No price to, to be a visitor or whatever. Um, we've got some some guys that hit the local circuit, uh, a couple of guys that hit like the Wizard World and C2E2 side of things that are coming out. So we're trying to do the best we can. And it's all going to be outdoors, uh, you know, so it's weather permitting. But it's gonna well, be I guess fun.
1: things are are starting to open up better or more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I guess you're still not doing gaming night or anything or
2: magic night or whatever that's called now. Friday night magic. Um, we, so there's certain, I can't remember which company if it's, I think Pokemon USA and I believe magic both are not allowing sanctioned events. So you could do like casual play, but you can't do any, um, events that are like tailored to new pre-release products and stuff like that. Um, so We do have two tables set up to allow for some casual gaming. Um, We've had two groups come in uh, and it's, it's limited to how many people can, can sit there. And um, Mm -hmm. we put a time limit on it. Friday night magic, we'd go until it was done. So Sam wouldn't be leaving the shop until, you know, 11 o'clock midnight sometimes. And we're holding firm to 7 PM. So just changes we're making right now. And as things ease and, and change, we'll continue to, kind of go with the program
0: something else that came to mind yeah i know this is not a huge focus for calvary or not the primary focus but with uh dc going to lunar and uh marvel going to penguin random house how does that affect the collectibles market i mean do you do much in that way
2: um like figures and statues yeah Mm mm-hmm That's a great question. Um, For the figures, when it comes to Marvel, a lot of their stuff is um, Diamond Select, and then they've got their Legends line and stuff. Not sure what's going to happen with those, to be 100% honest. My expectation is that they're probably going to stay, at least for the short term, with Diamond, and they might move to a different distributor if they're going to do something. Um, I don't have any indication that Penguin Random House is going to take on any of that sort of distribution. With DC the DC um, direct figure line and all of that stuff all is supposed to flow through Lunar. Now there's a backlog of about three years worth of statues and figures that have been ordered that they just keep punting the date farther out and out and out. And we're all just sitting here going, what's the deal? Um, You know, we've got, there's a, I think a Catwoman statue that's three and a half years out from its original release date. And we're just kind of like, Okay. (laughs) so, yeah, as of right now, I don't see a whole lot of change on the Marvel side, but DC did shift to Lunar.
0: Okay. I was curious about that.
2: Yeah.
1: Hmm. Oh, well, what else you got, Jay, or we need to start winding things down for the evening? I guess we've uh, kept Eric up tonight.
0: Yeah, and he's still got on my end. I'm sure he's still got a couple hours worth of store business
2: to do once he gets off here. I know
1: he's still, he's still got to come down for a blues game.
2: I would love to, I would absolutely love to. Um, are you guys letting uh, fans in at all yet?
1: Yep. They started doing that a couple of weeks ago.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I haven't obviously been up to a wild game yet either. That's huge. I want to see Kirill the Thrill play live um, our new hot rookie, but uh, yeah, it, that's on the list. I've also got, a, an open standing date to go to an LA Kings hockey game. So I've, I've got to, I've got to get moving on this stuff. I can't just keep going to Costa Rica.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the fish is better there. down there.
2: Oh my God. Yeah. We, we last, when I went down in February, we ended up with a 25 pound grouper and that was, Oh my gosh, that was phenomenal. Um, caught a lot of other stuff too, you know, snap
1: nice nice yeah so well maybe we'll just wind it up unless there's a, anything we didn't touch on
0: I can't think of anything
1: so alright send us off Jay
0: <laughs> you've been watching and listening to best of the rest <laughs> with Eric from cowabunga comics Eric we want to thank you again for joining us it's always a pleasure
2: Thanks for letting me come on and kill some time with you. It's always a treat to be able to talk to you guys.
0: Well thanks. And if you want to tweet the show, we're at B O T R Comics. You can reach me at jforgets.
1: And I'm at Ute Inger.
0: And I will put the links for Cowabunga in the show notes on the when I post this for the podcast.
1: We have show notes?
0: Yes. Oh,
1: nice. I'll have to read those sometime.
0: Yeah, you might. <laughs>
1: All right. Good night. See ya.
0: Take care.